Okay, running into the same problem Mike had a week or so ago. This thing's not on, so I'll look at my notes and the thing behind me and see if we can get through this lesson together. I want to talk to you for a little while about the second coming of the Lord. And I'm going to begin in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and perhaps 10. <clears throat> For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give grief to you, uh, give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for this, our testimony to you was believed. That, that's a tremendous reading to me in, in, in so many ways. Uh, Jesus is going to come back and I think we understand that. I don't think we understand all that Paul is saying in these verses. It's a tremendous event. We look forward to it. But there's so many things that happened to us down here before. And I just want to kind of focus on a few of the words that, that are in this passage. In uh, verse 7, he will give to us relief. Relief. I don't know that we understand the concept of relief. Uh, stress, repose. The repose is what I want to talk to you about. What, what, what do you envision when you use that word? It, it's in this passage in the concept of relief. In some fact, some translations will use the word repose. What's he mean by that? And when I see this word, I think of a, a little boy or a middle-aged man or an old man or a middle-aged woman, or an older woman, or a child sitting on a riverbank with a hat kind of pulled down over their head, with a fishing pole in the water, and you're kind of hoping that nothing makes the cork bob. You're at repose. We use our word repository, a place where you put things so that they will stay put. Here's the concept of repose, of repository. It's the concept here of relief. It's what we get when nothing is bothering us. And we're stressed in this life, sometimes beyond measure, in things that we don't even understand. Let me look at a couple of verses with you if I can remember where I put my glasses. Um, I want to go to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, chapter 2, rather, in verse 13. Um, that's first. Two, verse 13. Let me begin in verse 12. Now, when I came to Troas for, for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, and I had no rest from my for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on into Macedonia. 
this concept of, okay, Paul comes to Troas. It's just a normal part of his journey. But what's going on inside him? Most stress comes from what goes on inside us. And we can be stressed in this life beyond measure by things that we have absolutely no control over. I expected to find Titus there, and Titus wasn't there. Where could he be? What's going on in life that Titus is not here? We agreed to meet together Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday. We've got an appointment, and I'm here, and he's not here. And what's happening? Where is he? James, the brother of John, has already been put to death. Stephen is dead. God takes care of us. God protects us a lot of times in this life from things that we don't have any control over. But sometimes he doesn't protect because he needs people to see the determination in a James or, or in a Stephen or, or in any of us as we go through things in this life. And we can be stressed beyond measure. We uh, had, had kids, four, four boys that you know about. They're, they're good kids, but they're troublesome in the same, at the same time. And when they went to college, they were usually 8 to 12 hours away from where we were living at the time. And we've got to keep up with their schedule. You know, they're coming home at Christmas time, and their final exams are over at this time, and I tended to do this, and it's on me, and I understand that. <clears throat> it's going to take him eight hours to get from there to here. And when the exams are over, he's going to leave at 6 o'clock in the morning. He's going to rest through the night and get leave about 6. And you know, as well as I do, that kids do not work on my schedule. You don't start an eight-hour trip at noon. You get up and leave early so you can get there kind of early. And they didn't. They didn't get there when they were supposed to. And I'll tell you something that's almost as bad is you know it's going to be a 12-hour trip from where they're going to school to where we live, and they show up eight hours later because you know they're driving too fast. And you had no control over them because we didn't have cell phones back in those days. And the stress is all in me. What are you doing here this early? Do you realize you could have been killed on the highway? And this is the way Paul, I believe, is thinking about Titus here. And the stress is all inside him. And there's nothing he can do about it. And when Jesus comes back, we're going to be relieved from all of that stress that's on the outside that impacts us in so many areas in life. Uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse 5 and 6. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts within, fears without. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. <sighs> Finally, he's here. I can breathe again. The stress is gone because Titus, we still got fears within, difficulties without, but Titus is here. Do you understand how important it is for our fears to be relieved by things like that, the stress to be gone from our life, to be at ease, to be at repose? It's so necessary in this life. Long before 
Nike was a tennis shoe brand. It was a Greek word which meant victory. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be relief from the stresses of life, but there's going to be this concept of victory. This is so important to us in this life that we understand that God is in control and that victory can be ours through Jesus Christ. Well, this goes on beyond the victory will have rest from the responsibilities of life. I want to look in the book of Romans, the first chapter. There's a concept here, and again, a lot of this sense of responsibility comes from within us. But Paul says some things here that are interesting to me. And I'm going to start in verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay. What he's saying there, I think, is basically three things. This concept of being a debtor. I'm under obligation. What sense of obligation do we have to preach the gospel to the world? Well, a lot of it comes from inside us. Similar to our stress, but it's a different kind of stress, I think. Uh, This compelled from within. I'm a debtor. I owe it to God. I owe it to people to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus. But it's not just that he's a debtor. He says, I'm also eager to do this. And I'm not ashamed. And to me, all three of these things kind of come together in this compulsion that Paul has to get the gospel out to the world. I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed. And I'm ready. Uh, Look with me in the book of 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. There is a sense here that I believe every preacher worthy of that title kind of feels. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Uh, I preached full time, I guess, for nearly 50 years. And these words are special to me. Because what Paul is saying is, I feel it within me, but there were Sundays that I didn't have anything to say. And I had to say it anyway. And what he says here in this passage, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. I don't know that I ever preached against my will, it's just my will didn't quite coincide with God's will. I've got to do it. It's my job. If I want to, if I don't want to, the work has to be carried on. And to me, this is the compulsion that Paul feels about the gospel of Jesus when he says, I'm a debtor. I I, I owe it to the world, but you can't do this because of a debt that you owe. If I volunteer to do this, and I volunteered, Mike volunteers, Trent volunteers, we don't do this just for the money. I mean, preachers joke about things like this all the time. 
years ago I'd graduated from college and we kind of communicated with each other back then by letters because there was no email or telephone was too expensive if it was long distance and we wrote letters back and forth. And there was a friend of mine who left college and went off to the west coast to preach for a while and he sent a letter back saying things are going great with me right now and as soon as I baptize somebody I'm going to ask them for a raise. That's not the reason he did that. It's not so he could make more money. It's a humorous way of saying, once I accomplish something, once I convert people, once I start being good at my job, I want to do this, I volunteered to do this, but there are sometimes I just don't feel like it. For a thousand and one reason, things are not going well at home, your kids are fighting with you. Your wife is fighting with you. Your husband's fighting with you. I, I just don't feel like preaching today. But I've got to do it. It's my job. And there's a sense in which job is a, nece a necessity to us. But by and large, we do this voluntarily. I want to do it. And this sense of responsibility is inside Paul. Don't you understand? In the book of 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter... I want to read this passage with you. To me, it's just, it's so moving about Paul and the work that he is going to carry on in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. I want to read the first 13 verses. <clears throat> Working together with him, we also urge you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now, I think what Paul is doing here is saying, that, that we're kind of all in this together. In chapter 5, he suggested we are ambassadors with God. Now, he being an apostle, more so than any human being down here. But we're all in this together. Now's the day of salvation, but he said, I'm working together with you in this endeavor. But he really starts in verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, what he's saying is, I don't want to do anything that would hinder the gospel in the life of somebody else. I don't want them to look at me and say, I'll have nothing to do with the church. I'll have nothing to do with the gospel because of that person or that person. Paul says, I'm doing everything I can to live what I preach to you. And, but, but then he starts with, with all the afflictions that he suffered. In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil reporting, good report, regarded as deceivers, and yet true. As unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live. As punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak to you as children... Open wide to us. What he's saying there is imploring this church at Corinth, give us the same thing that we've given you. Look at what we've been through. 
all of the difficulties of life. Our lives have been threatened. I mentioned to you a few moments ago that James, the brother of John, is dead. Do you know what Paul went through for us? For the people at that time? When he will say, I was beaten with stripes, I've been stoned to death, left for dead, shipwrecked a night and a day in the deep. All I did that for you. And you owe me something in return. And I think in 2 Corinthians he's saying, and, and you've given me that. You really have. Thank you for that. But we're in this work together. It's this tremendous sense of responsibility that all of us ought to feel for the gospel of Jesus. There's the choice that's ours. To burn out or rust out. We perhaps need to be a little more energetic than we have been in years gone by in serving our God, in providing things for the gospel of Christ's sake. Free. This freedom that we have. And I don't know that we understand the total concept of freedom here. Let me look at a few passages in the book of Acts. Verse Chapter 24. Acts 24, verse uh, 23, I guess it is. He then gave orders to the centurion for Paul to be kept in custody, and yet at the same time to have some freedom and not, yet not to be prevented by any of his friend, from any of his friends ministering to him. In the same book chapter 25 verse 10 and 11 but Paul said I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried I have done no wrong to the Jews as you know very well if then I am a wrongdoer you've committed anything and have committed anything worthy of death I don't refuse to die but if none of those things is true of which the men accuse me no one can hand me over to them I appeal to Caesar now what what's happening here is that Paul is, has been arrested for his work in the gospel the Jews are hard against him. They want him to be punished. They want him to be put to death. He's arrested and he's held kind of loosely in a sense of bondage. He's in jail, but people can come to him. There, there's no restraint here on him, but here he appeals to Caesar. Now, in what sense is he a prisoner and what sense is he free? And I don't think any of that really matters here. Because freedom is the kind of thing that is within us. It is to live without fear. Uh, we sing a song sometimes, and I brought the book up here because I'm bad about forgetting it. 754, Faith of Our Fathers. And how many times have we sung this? I, I don't know. I've sung it in a half a dozen different churches where I've labored. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free. You understand what he's saying? How sweet would be their children's fate if they like them could die for thee. Paul is free. And when Jesus comes back, this freedom is going to be more obvious than it ever has been through the years for us. I am free. 
to do what I want to do, to do what God wants me to do. I may be in jail. I may be in a dungeon. But I'm in heart and conscience free. And I, I kind of think about the, the different people you know about back in the Bible. And we're going to get to this in a moment in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're in prison ready to go into the burning, fiery furnace. Did they have any reservations about that? I think I would. And I know what they said. God can free us. And if he wants to, he will. But if he doesn't want to, we're still going to be God's servants. And you can throw us in the furnace. And, and, and I'm standing there on the verge of this fire thinking I really don't want to go in there, <laughs> but I will because God makes me. God wants me to. I think about Daniel going to the lion's den. I'd not like to do that. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to my life. I mean, if a lion gobbles me up, that's about the same thing as dying in my sleep. I'm going to be dead one way or the other. But I'd kind of like my body to be placed in a grave all nice and neat so when Jesus comes back, he won't have to hunt for the pieces of me here and there. In what way are they in heart and conscience free? That's what's so difficult for us to understand. I want to do things my way. And my way may not be God's way. But I still have this same freedom that Paul expresses here in the book of Acts. I'm going to go to Caesar. I'm going to appeal to him. Is he going to be even better off? I don't know. The secular history tells us that he was freed from that imprisonment the first time and then was arrested again later and put to death eventually for the cause of God. It's just the way things are. But I can do what I want to do by the glory of God and by his grace and mercy. To live without fear. There's something else. In this passage, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, rest with us. And I don't know if you think about the us in the same way I do. There's going to be a great gathering. Who's going to be there? And I, let me just read this with you. Hebrews the 11th, uh, the 11th chapter, yeah, verse 32. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. And, and I don't know how you read that passage. Uh, Jephthah to me is not a highly respectable man. <laughs> Do you remember Jephthah in the book of Judges? He was rough. 
about as rough a man as you could hope for. Not just that he made this rash comment, God, if you'll be with me, I'm going to sacrifice the first thing that comes out my door to you when I go home. And the first thing out his door was his daughter. Before you ever get to that, it's going to tell you that he was not well thought of in his community. They kind of ran him off. He went into a far country and, and kind of became a, 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 a tough character. You, you wouldn't want to meet him in a barroom brawl. Of course, you wouldn't want to be in a barroom to start with, but you know, you know what a barroom brawl is. Because Jephthah's going to win. He's the meanest, toughest guy around. And when Israel gets in trouble, they call him back. Oh, we, we want you to come save us because we're about to die. We're going to be overrun by the army of this other guy. Come help us out. And he did. And he still made mistakes. And he's in this list of heroes. Can you imagine that? Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Gideon, that coward back in the book of Judges, that wouldn't help without a sign and a sign and a sign and a sign. God, if you'll prove to me you're who you say you are, I, I'm stronger than Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put, it, put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy. You understand what he's saying there? These people are going to be in heaven. And if I get there, I've got a thousand questions to ask them. How did you feel? What was it like to go through what you went through? And it's not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. It's these, these women that we're looking at here. The man was the breadwinner. He went out and worked, and the woman stayed home, and she had plenty to do there to keep her busy. She built a fire. She cooked a dinner. She did the work around the house, while the, and, and the man is gone. And what am I going to do now? I have nothing to eat. I have nowhere to go. There's no money. There's no credit cards. I want to ask those women, how did you put up with that? How did you stay strong to God? And we are going to be in heaven with them if we're worthy. And that's what it takes to be a child of God. And when Paul says, Rest with us. I want to be one of those us. I want to be there with him. And with all of these people. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. Because God has provided something better for us. So that apart from us they would not be made perfect.
and the us is there. And I want to be there with them. There's a celebration around the throne in heaven better than anything we'll ever experience down here. The singing was good here, at least from my perspective where I was sitting. It just sounded like everybody was pitching in to help out. It sounded real good. Not like the heavenly chorus. Do you want to sing with the angels someday? I do. I don't care who the song leader is. I don't know that we'll have a song leader. I think somebody's going to start it. We'll just all pitch in. Praising God. Praising God because he deserves it. And around that throne in heaven, there's going to be all the hallelujahs. It would scare us to death if somebody in the middle of the service said hallelujah. We wouldn't know what to do about that. You know, people used to do that back when we didn't get so uptight about it in church. And I'm not suggesting you shout hallelujah now or say your amens or anything else. I'm just saying that we're different than our ancestors were. I remember men getting down in the aisle on their knees during a prayer. We don't do that anymore because that would make us stand out a little bit. Uh, in heaven, we're not going to be constrained. We're going to be free to serve our God, to praise our God the way we want to do down here. Now, let me go back with you to this passage in Thessalonians for a minute. Because there's another side to that coin as well. Verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I love to talk with you about heaven. It's going to be something to behold. But there's another side to that as well, and that's the horrors of hell. Now, I don't know that here anybody oppresses me because of my religion. I think being in the South, we have a blessing that they may not have in other countries or may not have in other parts of the United States. I've not received that much persecution because of my faith. I think there are those who do persecute Christians intentionally, revile, make fun of, do all of these evil things to us. And I think that's more or less who he's talking about here. These people who are adamantly opposed to religion. God has a place for them as well. And I don't know where the breaking place is. I, I, I pray for the souls of a lot of those who have not been baptized. I don't say that God's going to answer that prayer. But my sympathies are with them. They're not evil people. They're not wicked people. They're just not obedient to the gospel of Jesus. And that's what's in this passage. Obedient to the gospel of Jesus. And there'll come a time toward the end of the worship service that we'll offer an invitation to you.
those who would be saved. I want you to remember that Jesus died for us so that hell would not be ours. Heaven would be. And I want to be able to rejoice in heaven with Paul and Titus and all those people we looked at in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We'll be led in prayer at this time.